Good morning. Uh, this is our first week doing both online streaming and in-person services. And I'm just going to say what I think everybody's kind of feeling and maybe even thinking. This feels a little weird, right? Feels a little odd. N less than ideal, to say the least. If you're here in person, we're in my front yard. Um, and that's great. But I, I bet if you had to pick an absolutely ideal spot for us to gather together in worship, you'd pick, what, some beautiful cathedral or this uh, beautiful church building. Uh, you, you would have us gathered all together, everyone, friends and loved ones, singing together, sitting together. Um, and it's not like there's a ton of us. And this season of COVID means it's usually wisdom not to gather in large groups, um, and certainly not close together. So that's if you're in person. If you're online, if you're watching this online, maybe you're sitting in your living room in your pajamas, or maybe you're staring at your uh, phone screen, participating on some small screen, feeling very far away from everyone else. It's odd, right? At least it's odd if you went back in time, even just a calendar year ago, and you said that this morning you would be gathering together with your sisters and brothers in worship, online or in person in a front yard, that would feel odd. Um, but in worship, like every other area of our lives in the last eight months, uh, COVID's forced us to navigate things most of us never even had to think about before. And honestly, it can all make us feel a little bit detached. That's a good word, detached, out of sync with each other. So this morning, I'd like to share with you some encouragement that I've found from Psalm 113, some encouragement to us in the middle of navigating what it means to worship together in an age of social distancing. So if you have your Bible in front of you, turn to Psalm 113, but it'll also be on your screen. This is Psalm 113, God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap, he seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word of encouragement from Psalm 113. I pray that in these moments as we reflect upon the words here, that you would uh, drive the truth home in our hearts, that we would be transformed as we look into your word and to people who are like you, who value what you value and love what you love. I pray that you do this work in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you look through Scripture, you'll see there are times when the worship of God's people seems particularly majestic and, and big, um, where the location and the circumstances of worship seem to match the grandeur of the way Scripture talks about who God is. Um, you can look at the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, for instance. Look at the tabernacle under Moses. It's this intricate and beautiful tent in the middle of the camp of the Israelites. It signified God's presence with them. Or look forward uh, to the, the splendor of the Temple of Solomon. 
uh, in Jerusalem. It was listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was this magnificent achievement of architecture, this beautiful, grand building built for the worship of God. Or even look at the rebuilt temple during the time of Jesus. Uh, the temple of Herod is a, is a place of great beauty and significance. So you'll find those in Scripture, but you'll also find this. You'll find times when the worship of God's people seemed to be scattered and, and less than ideal, where it seemed to be out of sync with, with the way they talked about God. Think of the time when Solomon's temple was destroyed, this great uh, ancient wonder of the world destroyed by the Babylonian army and the people were taken into exile in Babylon and suddenly not only did they not have a temple, a grand temple, they were in a completely foreign land having to restart their lives together. I'm sure their worship seemed out of sync with the way they talked about God. Or think of the earliest Christians. They were forced out of synagogues. They worshiped where? In people's houses. In some instances, they even worshipped outside, uh, like beside a river, uh, where they would meet to pray when they did not have a building to go to. And in some instances, Christians gathered together and worship in caves or catacombs, which uh, is like an underground cemetery. These places of worship seemed out of sync with the majestic way that they talked about who God was. So one of the questions that we can have about those times as we look at Scripture, and also a question we can have about our own times as we're gathered in a front yard <laughs> or on a screen, uh, is when the place of worship and the circumstances of our worship are maybe less than ideal, uh, when they aren't in a majestic place like a temple or for us in a beautiful church building, um, is our worship less than? Can we still worship God fully? in a place like a front yard? Can we still worship our God fully in, in, on a screen, gathered together with people from a distance in the time of COVID? And the answer is this, yes, yes we can. For the earliest Christians, for the exiled Israelites, for us today, the answer is yes, because the most important thing about our worship of God is not the place where it happens. Even though the place may be important, it's not the immediate circumstances that surround our worship, even though our circumstances are important. The most important thing about our worship is who we worship. What's significant about our worship is not the size of the space. It's not the volume of our singing. It's not the amount of people on either side of us. The most significant thing about our worship is not the subject of our worship. It's not us. That's not what matters most. What matters most is the object of our worship, God, the one who ties it all together. And that's one of the points that this psalm is making in its first three verses. He starts by saying, praise the Lord, and then praise the Lord, you his servants. So the picture is it's a gathered people together with each other. And they're telling each other, praise the Lord. We might be doing that this morning. But then he expands it. Notice, let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. And so this, uh, this worship of a gathered people is not limited to uh, time. It's expanded beyond just those moments where they're gathered together. It's also not limited in location. Look at verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Our God exceeds the boundaries of our limitations. 
He exceeds time and space, what we experience. And that means our praise of Him does as well because our praise connects connects us to Him. In a sense, as we worship, we get swept up into something much larger than ourselves. And that means that whether we're gathered with thousands of other people or due to COVID, maybe we're stuck inside staring at a screen, we can take great hope that we are not alone, that in our praise we are lifted up to God together. We are being swept up again into something bigger than the limitations of a specific time or a specific space. Why can we say this? Because the God that we worship, again, is a transcendent God who uh, stretches beyond the bounds of even our own earthly experience. Um, That's the emphasis of the rest of this psalm. Let's talk about our praise in the first three verses, that God's to be praised in all places and at all times. The emphasis of the rest of this psalm is why we should praise God. And that's this, he's worthy of us worshiping him because of two reasons. Number one, because of who he is, and number two, because of what he's done and what he is doing. He's worthy of worship because of who he is and what he's done slash what he's doing. Let's look at the first of these. God is worthy of our praise because of who he is. Look at verse 4. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. As we've said, part of what it means to be a human being is that we're limited. We're limited in time. We can't go back to the past or or fast forward to the future, no matter how much we want to. We live minute by minute. Uh, We're also limited in space. We can only be in one place at one time. No matter how much we want to be in multiple places, we can only, we're limited in time and space. But that's not true of God. He's not limited like we are. He's the creator, and we are his creation. And, And in a sense, he's beyond our comprehension, our best categories, our very best categories Uh, and descriptions of him fall short of who he truly is. That's what it means for him to be exalted over all the nations, as it says in verse 4, or to be enthroned on high, as it says in verse 5. So he's worthy as creator. He's, He's this transcendent being. He's the creator, we're creation. And he is worthy of us praising him simply because of who he is. Simply because he is the transcendent God. But this idea that he's transcendent and powerful, that's not inherently good news for us, right? This idea of God being transcendent is the idea that he has all power, that he's lifted up above. But if we know anything in our world, we know that just because someone is powerful doesn't mean that they're good. In fact, more often than not, the very powerful are those who are not good, that use their power for selfish reasons. To hear that God is transcendent. To hear that he is powerful, that actually might be a scary thing for us, right? Because what is he going to do with all that power? What is he going to do with all that power? Well, that's the point of the last three verses of this psalm. We've seen that God is worthy of praise because of who he is, because he's transcendent. But we also see that he's worthy of us worshiping him because of what he has done and what he is doing. Look at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. Look at what God does with all of his power. With this transcendent power, God puts his power to work on behalf of the poor 
and the needy. This is the, uh, the trajectory of his unlimited power showing up and working in our limited world. It's a power that's joined to his goodness, a power that seeks out and lifts up, that brings grace. And this isn't just true of those who are poor in a, in a money sense or those who are needy in a material way. It definitely includes those people, but it's not just limited to that. Um, it, it also means in a spiritual sense. It also means those of us who are, are poor in spirit, who know our great need, who know by experience that we live in a world full of things that cannot satisfy our hearts. God's power at work for us and in us to lift us up, to establish us in His grace so that we may live our lives in full confidence that we are His beloved daughters and sons, never to be cast off, never to be forgotten, that His power is full of tender compassion for us, that He is God for us, that this is what He does with that transcendent power. Where do we see this most clearly? We see this most clearly in Jesus Christ. This psalm actually points to him in a very specific way that we might miss. Look at verse 9 again. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Now this psalm, Psalm 113, was one that was written and sung by God's people for centuries upon centuries before uh, the time of Jesus. Psalm 113 was actually one of the most prominent psalms in Jewish worship, and it still is. It's, it's used especially at the time of Passover. It's, it's memorized, it's sung, it's recited together by families and by congregations. And so centuries after it was written, when a heavenly messenger, when an angel, came to a young poor woman named Mary to tell her that her son would be the savior of the world, it's no surprise that that childless woman, now pregnant, responded in a song of joy with these words from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, God is worthy to be praised not just because of who he is, because but because of what he has done and what he is doing in Jesus Christ. Mary sang this song that I just read because she knew the score. She knew in her heart what God was up to, that her son Jesus Christ, that in him God was fulfilling his promise, that in Jesus God was bringing redemption to the world who needed it. We know the depth of what this means and what this meant. We read through the Gospels that Jesus was crucified, died, and that he was buried, becoming a substitute for us. In, in a way, taking on the punishment for our sin, the things that hold us bound, the things that keep us in the dust, in the ash heap. 
But we also know the victory of his resurrection and the promise that that holds for us that God's power, his transcendent power, is stronger than our sin, that it's stronger even than the finality of death. So, wherever we are, we may feel disconnected. We may feel out of sync, gathered together uh, virtually or in a front yard as a church to worship our God. But let us see, it's not the location of where we are, but it's our God that binds us together. It's our God who shows us who He is through what He does and what He's done in Jesus Christ, this profound sacrificial love. So let's praise our God together, whether we're in a front yard, whether we're in a living room, whether we are staring at a screen or in person. Let's praise Him because He's worthy of being praised. And let's know that wherever we are, He hears us. He is with us, and He is at work, even now, in His mysterious way, to raise us up, to call us to Himself, and to give us grace upon grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this good word. I pray that we would be encouraged in our hearts, that even though we're in the midst of of odd times and it can feel so strange, that in You we are joined together with Jesus and you, we are joined together with each other. Let us look to uh, how worthy you are to be praised through what you've done in Christ and what you're going to do, making all things new. We long for that day and pray that it comes to be. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.